Create Out Loud is brought to you by Anchor.fm. And if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast so you can, yes, create out loud. It's free. They give you tools so you can record easily on your phone or your computer. They'll distribute the podcast for you. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started. Because yeah, I want you to create out loud. Hey, welcome back to Create Out Loud with me, Jen Loudon. Hey, on this show, you know, we invite the world's most interesting, dynamic, and groundbreaking creatives to talk about their creative journey in vulnerable ways and to share the lessons they're learning so that you can learn too. This week, I had the incredible pleasure of talking to Toya Gavin. She is from legally-bold.com. Toya is a lawyer. She is a coach, and she helps women of color find professional satisfaction. And if you never want to feel overworked, underpaid, or unhappy again in your work or in your business, that's her mission, and especially for black and brown women to overcome internalized racism. I was drawn to interview Toya because she has been so bold and creative in how she has developed first her legal business and now as she's moved into coaching uh, lawyers and women of color in their businesses. It takes a tremendous amount of bravery, but I also wanted to interview her because she's all about ethical business and ethical marketing and they're so... There's such a feeling when you talk to her and and you're about to experience that of someone who's really internally rooted in their own values. It's a great conversation, so let's dive in. One of the reasons why, as I told you before we started rolling tape, as we used to say in the old (laughs) days, that I wanted to have you on is because you are becoming a stand and a voice for ethical business, especially for black and brown women. And this is something I'm super, super passionate about. And I always have been really, really passionate about what is drawing you from law to helping black and brown women create the professional satisfaction they crave. And especially in their own self-determined business, like what, why not just stay with the law? I mean, that's an amazing calling in itself. I became a coach. 2018 with COVID time is a construct. So I've never know how many, but, and so I started off coaching lawyers because I'm a lawyer. And around that time, even before all that happened in 2020 with the black lives matter movement and all that, I really started to see parallels in myself between some of the clients of color I had and myself in terms of just the internalized racism that we face and how that affects us and how we Mm -hmm. present to the world, right? Mm -hmm. And even in business, you know, owning your own business, being an entrepreneur is one of the main ways that people of color can really generate economic power. Like we can take control and generate economic power from that. The internalized racism that we are constantly dealing with and that we kind of, we we stop ourselves. And I saw that Mm -hmm. in myself and I saw that in other women of color. started reading more about it. I started thinking more about it. And I really wanted to empower them to feel like, no, you can do this thing. We can work through these issues. We can do it in an ethical and real way, not the online business way of you're going to make $6 million in six months. And I think a lot of people of color shy away from that because it sounds like BS and Mm -hmm. a lot of it is. We've been able to survive by being practical keep going it and thrive as a person of color unless you're practical and you can really see like that doesn't 
That that sounds like a crock of. <laughs> oh, you can you can say like anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> it is a crock of shit, and I have to be you know uh, very conscientious of the money I have, what I do with that money, and how I'm able to generate economic power and generational wealth with that. And so that's what kind of got me interested because I really feel like the online space and just business in itself is a way to do that, but. We need to be real about what that looks like and how and the drive it takes to get mm-hmm. it done. And also the internalized racism and how do we overcome it? One of the things I've focused on a lot in my life, in my work, is how do we overcome the patriarchy for women? Yeah. Period. How it shapes permission to dream, to even think about what they might want to create. It feels like there's so often we don't even give ourselves. Our imaginations are stunted. Absolutely. Just like you mentioned, women, there is that issue of being able to dream, kind of not feeling confident enough to use your voice or that your voice matters. I noticed that as a theme. Among women of color, one of the themes that I noticed is that we, we're we kind of afraid of being seen. And I know it sounds like, you know, like Black women seem to be the ones always standing up. But when it comes to actually being vulnerable and being seen, which entrepreneurship in our culture it's very vulnerable it's public it vulnerability putting your social feed out there we're not into that and it and that's gonna really harm you if you're trying to market yourself as a brand and it's like listen i'm gonna need you to put your picture on the mm-hmm. website <laughs> right they're like so you need my face my pic yes your picture but that is a that's an issue because that's one of the things of, that comes with internalized racism. Kind of don't feel like people want to see you. People aren't going to be attracted to buy from you because you're a black woman. So maybe if I just hide that and put these stock images, I'll gain more, you know, followers and buyers. So there's a lot of things to overcome and we all have our stuff. But I just kind of felt called to start talking about those issues and to build something around really making business work for black and brown women. (laughs) It reminds me of one of the blog posts that you wrote that I thought was just brilliant about hiring a black coach. And you told this great story about when you were super into Oprah and Oprah had a financial expert that was telling a black woman, cut your hair expenses. And you were like, right. no. And Oprah also was like, no, 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 no. Black women need to have their hair done. Can you say more about some of your takeaways in that post? Because it was such an eye-opener to me. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote a post called Why You Need a Black Coach. And just that Oprah story, it was something that stayed in my mind. I can't tell. It was like the 90s, right? right? right. Oprah. And she had this whole series on about, you know, families who were in financial crisis. And this one... It's, a well-known, well-respected financial coach was commenting on this woman and she was like getting her hair done every two weeks or whatever. And they're like, yeah, you should do your hair yourself and do it from home. I remember being young and feeling even then like, yeah, no. Like, (laughs) (laughs) no. I was like, is that really what's gonna happen? And then Oprah, what I loved about Oprah and why she resonates so much with so many groups of people is she says the thing. Mm -hmm. She said to the coach, listen, black women in their hair, the feeling like you are put together on the outside really determines how you feel when you're out in the world and what you're able to produce. So telling this woman, not only are you dealing with like financial issues, but like you're not gonna look good while you're doing it. And you have to deal with being a black woman in the South. She was like in South Carolina or something. She's like, no, you have to give her something. I'm so sorry. She That needs to be factored into the budget. But she was able to feel into that space 
and explain it in a way like she needs this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same way with coaches is why when we go to therapists, we look for therapists who maybe um, specialize in whatever our issue is. Like if we have an issue with substance abuse or something like that, or we're looking for a female therapist who can understand gender issues and all that. There's an unspoken energy and unspoken language when you meet with a professional professional or someone who is um, dealing in spaces that are very vulnerable and who can talk to you, talk to into those ex experiences because they're, they've had them. You're a wonderful writer. I'm not sure if you've had this experience, but I often feel like the English language is missing words because there is those experiences, the experiences you have as a parent that mm -hmm. you can't really tell somebody until they're in them. And one of the things you said about article or the blog post, mm -hmm. the real issue is that the coach didn't seek to understand her client's values or culture before giving advice. That's not her experience. That's not something that mm -hmm. someone even brought to her before as an issue. She's never had to, or at that time, she didn't have to go into spaces where she had to adapt to the culture and mm -hmm. learn the values. She was the culture or the normalized culture. And so she just assumed that everyone was going to be in that same cultural, had those same cultural values and all that. And I think you're right. Now we're at a time where it's like, no, when you are dealing with rules in a coaching space or professional space, you you have to understand their cultural context and their values to really understand their decisions and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It might not make sense to you, but it makes sense to them for a reason. You know, what fuels your creativity? What, what fuels your desire mm -hmm. to keep reinventing this, you know, to keep because it's not easy. I mean, you said we were having an email exchange. You're like, nothing about creating this new outshoot of my business is easy. And I get it. I mean, creating really effective coaching programs is a great work of art. That's such a great question. I think keeps me going is I'm an internally motivated person. I learned that a long time. I can care less, honestly, about competition. I don't want you to lose your thought, but for so many people listening, they just went, what? How did you do that? How did you stop looking around? you and comparing yourself? How did you find that internal motivation? Because we know scientifically that is the best way for us to move forward as creatives. I think I've just always kind of been internally referenced. I think some people, and it works for them, they are competitors. They make sense in our culture. That's kind of the dominant way of producing that we see. There's no model for people who are kind of internally referenced. And I think as a creative, I've, even when I was young, I always felt motivated to do well and to learn things. And it was just a sort of, almost like a challenge to myself. Like, can you be brave enough to try this thing? The more I do it, honestly, it, it feels good. It feels good when you are when you have first have the idea and when you're done. In the middle <laughs> when it's like all crazy, you're like, what? Who? I did this to myself. I literally assigned myself this. No one made me do That's this. true. That's the thing about <laughs> intrinsic motivation, right, Toya? Like, there's nobody to blame. <laughs> There's nobody to blame but you. Yeah, but when you're done and you see what you've created and how far you've come and the lessons that you've learned and your ability to translate those lessons and to help other people, there's just something deeply gratifying about that. And I think that's what keeps me going. It's not the competition. Though. It does seem like you love to learn. I mean, you're teaching yourself coaching for business. You're teaching yourself how to coach black and brown women. Absolutely. You know, I recently um, redid the Clifton Strengths Finder. The top two were achievement and so it's like an internal motivation and learner. Mm -hmm. I find immense joy in learning things. I think when I started coaching, I used to say like, if I could just 
figure out a way to like read stuff and learn stuff and then just tell other people about it, that would be like, that's the business I want. That's what I want to do. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and the sooner I can learn it and tell you, the happier it makes me. That's, that's it. That's it. Because it, it makes me feel good. Like, ah, uh, like this was confusing for me. I figured this out. Now I can tell it for you. You don't have to be confused for, mm -hmm. you know, months and years. I can sh shortcut this for you. I think that is what inspires me. That's what keeps me going. And I feel like coaching is that. We are a, a social a being for a reason. We often can't see ourselves, you know. We think we can see ourselves and we know each ourselves around somebody sort of turns that mirror and say, no, this is what I see. This is what's really coming through. Then you really, really learn yourself. Make a list of who your mirrors are. Who are your trusted advisors or friends, mentors, coaches, therapists who provide that mirroring for you? Are you getting it currently? You don't have to pay for it. But it has to be safe. It has to be loving. It has to not be about breaking you down. There's such bullshit in the creative world about, you know, criticism and it makes you stronger and you have to have a tough skin. You do have to learn to take care of yourself and process things in a healthy way internally to be an artist. Absolutely. But you don't have to become someone who doesn't feel or who has to be broken down over and over again by criticism. I think that is so wrong and is all about hurt people who went into being critics or teachers. But having mirrors that can honestly, lovingly say, like I've had to have people say to me, these books don't work, this manuscript doesn't work, this book proposal doesn't work, and being able to say, you're right, I trust you, I'm letting this go or I'm rewriting it. But also these mirrors that coaches and, and therapists and friends can be of, of, I know you really well, I think it's worth another try, or I know you really well and you're not happy because you're not listening to your calling or whatever it is. Who are your mirrors? And if you don't have any right now, get some, get some new ones. <laughs> I know you better than you know yourself. And when I was a kid, I, would, I was like, what does that even mean? But she saw his reflection, she saw him. And when you're just internally referenced sometimes and you don't have spaces and places where people, you can be vulnerable and they can really see you, you can't really see the full picture or the full sort of perspective. And coaching kind of helps me like going back to to the inspiration, motivation, helps me to shine that light for other people to illuminate new things, mm -hmm. to help them learn new ways. I love it. One of the things that I find really interesting about being a learner who then wants to teach people what I just learned, you really have to develop the meta skill, M-E-T-A, of looking at yourself as a learner so that you can break it down for whoever you're coaching or teaching. Is that something that's come natural to you or is it something that you really had to develop, particularly in this new program that you're leading the self-determined? business? I don't think it's something that's come natural. I think it's a skill that I developed over time. And I'm sure you find this. It's like now when I'm learning something new and it, it really resonates, I'm always like, okay, I want to break this down for my audience. Mm -hmm. So if I were teaching this, like what what are the key points or the lessons that I would take away from this? And then what order would I need to present this information in, in a way that makes sense for them? And I think that's just doing it. Being a creative or being an entrepreneur, you don't learn how to do that until you do it. It's, you, mm -hmm. you kind of have to do it, be in the muck of it, 
you know, create, say, I'm going to put out this program. And then you're like, okay, these people signed up. I have to deliver them something. <laughs> right. Then you learn, right. And that's a very vulnerable process to say, mm-hmm. did this land for you? Was this, how did this work for you? Did this make sense? Okay. Now in this next lesson, let me take and incorporate that feedback. Maybe I need more diagrams. Maybe I need more visuals or whatever it may be to really bring home the point. So no, it didn't, it wasn't a natural thing. Definitely something I've I've learned over time and continue to learn. For me, again, Jen, you're like me. If I could learn all day, I would. If I could <laughs> and someone else would pay for it. <laughs> it one but, of the things that it took me many years to figure out was I always self-identified as a writer, and that was my main gig for a long time. But when I started to teach more, it took me a long time to value teaching as a deeply creative act, as creative as writing. Has that been true for you? Or is there some, is there some way that you evolved in how you see yourself as a creative? When I was a lawyer and definitely for a large time when I was a student, I never even identified myself as a creative. But what you find even in the list, you have to write well and persuasively, and you have to be creative in terms of how you present arguments in a way that translates to multiple audiences, whether that be a judge who is aware of the legal circumstances or a jury where you have to speak plainly. So there's a creativity to that. I really started recognizing sort of or identifying myself more as a creative the more I got into coaching. I should say even before the creative part, making the leap in my identity from just being a lawyer to being like a coach, that was a leap all into itself. I had all this stuff wrapped up in the idea of what it means to be a coach and what it means to be a lawyer and what's more professional and what's not and all this nonsense. And Say more about that. I find identity issues so fascinating because they can both help us move towards our creative and life goals or they can block us without even realizing it. So did you think a coach was sleazy or? Not sleazy. I just thought like, I, like I thought a Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> yeah, not yeah, just more like not as serious, mm-hmm. right? Like I am a serious legal professional, right? And there's all of this egoic stuff that comes with being a lawyer. People automatically assume you know what's going on. You walk into any room, they want you to take charge. So there's like all this thing that feeds your ego when you're a lawyer. And then saying, okay, I'm a coach. Are people gonna start to think differently? What does the legal community think Mm. of me now that I'm saying I'm a coach? What does all of that mean? Realizing that I had a lot of like my identity trapped in these things and it was holding me back for sure. I think a lot of lawyers hold themselves back in terms of where they wanna go next in their career whether it's in the law or not, because of those those ego issues, right? It's cool to work at a law firm and make a lot of money and look like you're doing all these cool things. Meanwhile, I talk to several people who are like crying every day mm-hmm. and they hate going into work. Identity, where can it help you create? Is there a creative identity as a writer, as a painter, as a sculptor, as a mime? that you need to own and own the lineage that you're part of and proudly be in? And is there an identity you need to let go of so you can expand into a new area or into a new subject area or content or expression? Or is there an identity that feels too heavy for you? I've worked with a lot of people who the identity of writer is too much. It's got too much baggage for whatever reason they need to let go of it or painter or even artist can feel way too heavy for some people. And being a creative or a putterer, or I like to say I make art messes, 
I don't think of myself as an artist, but I like to play around with color and texture. Great. How do you see yourself in a way that allows you to express yourself and always be growing? Moving into coaching was a part of my journey, part of my creative journey. And, and creativity is really about, I think, expressing the core of yourself. It's about there's something inside of you. We all have this purpose. I believe this. And creativity is about figuring out how to express that, even though you got all this stuff and you kind of have to be brave enough and trust yourself enough to say, OK, I'm going to peel back this layer and show this part. And this coaching thing seems like the vehicle for it. And it's man, it, you, as you know, it's very creative. You get to just make you just like, oh, I have this idea. I see this problem. How am I going to solve this problem? It's immensely creative. So once I made the leap identity wise from being a lawyer to being a lawyer and a coach and all that, the creativity came with it. And you're also being really creative about how you're helping women and black and brown women in particular look at how to earn a living. So let's talk about that because I love to get into mm -hmm. money and okay. money as creative people, but also money as, as self-employed, as having a business. And I think the thing that I see over and over again stops so many of the women who work with me to create their creative thing is marketing. The marketing for me, I see it like on two sides. So I, I and I call it like messaging, which is like what I'm saying. <laughs> and then the other side of it is the marketing is like, what language am I going to use to draw in the clients and customers, right? So from the messaging side in sort of being able to be ethical and communicate the values that I want to communicate and the and what I want to put out into the world, I really think about kind of three to four core messages that I want to center, you know, my business around. So for self-determined business is this idea of generating generational wealth in an ethical way. It's the idea of building community, about doing online business differently, about recognizing that, you know, there are sort of mindset blocks that aren't just like our normal coachy ones, but there's internalized racism. There are real right. issues and that we have to confront when we're doing businesses. So those are sort of the core messages that I'll decide like, okay, this is what I want to talk about. And then I'll do like some market research and say like, you know, the person who's looking at my business, they're not going to say, oh, I'm having issues with internalized racism. That's how I'm dealing with <laughs> Just the other day, I was saying to my girlfriend, I'm having issues with Just internalized the other day, racism. I was, thinking, I was thinking it was the patriarchy who was causing me to, like, they're not saying that. What they're saying is, you know, I'm not getting traction in my business. Mm -hmm. I don't know where how to do social media, whatever those words are. You can go to forums and places and uh, where your target audience hangs out and look for their language. How are they expressing it? And then you can like infusing that language into your core message and core message. And so that's kind of how I stay true to myself by <laughs> starting with my core messages, my core values first, and then using the language of my audience to make sure they see like, oh, she's speaking to me. This is what I care about, but now how do I help them understand it's the same thing? And so one of the challenges I think I'm having now in marketing is, is the transition part. I've built up this marketing or this brand or, you know, coaching just lawyers, like women lawyers. And now I'm branching out into professionals of colors. So lawyers plus whoever else. And how do you manage that transition? So the audience comes along with you. People don't feel left out and you're expanding your, your reach. 
And honestly, I'm just learning as I go. I'm sticking to, okay, I have these core ideas, these core messages. I'm going to put these messages out and see kind of what happens. And again, that's creativity and vulnerability right there. It's like, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I would love to know. So, well, let's keep talking about sure. marketing. I love everything you just mm -hmm. said. I completely agree. And then how are you getting that message out? I know one of the things that I was reading on your website, you had a really interesting sort of three or four actions that you like to take. And it wasn't so much, let me just show up everywhere on social media, which I think a lot of people think of when they think of marketing. And one of them, I believe, was really making sure you're connecting, that you're emailing or direct messaging with likely clients. Because I think we're in the social media age, people just immediately jump as you mentioned to like okay I need to you know, go on Instagram and I need to get a 10 bajillion and then that's how my business is going to take off but I just want to tell people a little secret that there were businesses before Instagram there, there were businesses before Facebook there, there were businesses before there was an internet and so those principles of reaching out to audiences or to a market still exist and so I am a fan of connecting with people, reaching out to people directly. I do do on LinkedIn, like a direct message strategy where I talk to people directly. I am a fan of building relationships and networking. I like people. I like learning about people. I like meeting cool people. And so if you think about sort of marketing as, oh wait, I get to tell people what I do. I get to meet cool people in return and then just build a relationship. It, it feels good. The marketing feels good. It doesn't feel salesy. It doesn't feel me. And I think those are just like some of the avenues to sort of to do that, right? I love that. And I think creatives, I'm thinking of authors that I work with and painters and people who make objects, yeah. whether it's an exclusive object they're going to sell for a lot or a book that, you know, I sell for $6.95, $14.95 in paper. That's where it seems to, marketing often seems to break down. That people can think, mm -hmm. okay, I'm creating a relationship with a client or who's going to hire me for a talk or as a coach, but it really seems to break down when we think about spreading the word in a larger way. Some of the sort of strategies that some of my clients have used and, and that I advocate, it's, it's sort of doing like workshops and seminars for associations, let's say. You can start speaking about in those places for those types of groups. That's ways to get the word out. And then I guess I come from a very sort of grassroots person to person, like my mom went to church and that kind of thing. A lot of it is really telling everyone, you know, like if you know pastors, if you know people in the community who are know a lot of people and they know about what you're doing, it's still kind of a relational approach, but it is a way to kind of get started. And once you get started, you'll you'll start to move more people and bring more people to your work. Yeah, I think we do tend to think big in a way that is overwhelming instead of what's who's in my network. I forget that yeah. too. You'd be surprised with personalizing things and looking to who, who are in your network, how much that can do. Being a little vulnerable when you talk about your work. So I know artists, they think the art speaks for themselves, but there is something courageous in saying, you know, this is the reason why I created this piece. I was dealing with this issue. I was dealing with divorce. I was dealing with loss. I was dealing with this. And from this, this came out. This was my interpretation of my experience. There's a connection in that 
that story. I think that is important as well. Even if you're selling like a tangible product, people want to know the why behind it and everything. Share yourself in that way and be honest is also attractive. I live in Colorado and I was up in Silverton. Went into this little tiny store and it was a native woman owned it. She had fantastically curated some art and jewelry in this little tiny space. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was as small as my tiny little office. I completely connected with her. We connected. Her grandparents had been Taos Pueblo Indians. I have a, a long connection with Taos. Immediately, I wanted to buy something because of that connection to her story. She was very vulnerable in sharing that. And it all started because she had pictures of her grandparents up on the wall. That's a Pueblo. Is that Taos Pueblo? And we started talking. Right. So we overlook the humanity in, mar in marketing. We overlook the connections. We don't think we're worthy of it or that it's interesting. Or I know for me, does this ever happen to you? I almost want to be invisible sometimes. All the time, Jen. <laughs> if I could. But that's not, right, that's not what we're meant. We're meant to share these gifts. We meant to share ourselves. And so part of sharing ourselves is figuring out how to not hide, not be invisible and, and really kind of go for it in those ways. And I love that you mentioned she had that photo of family and those things. Some people would shy away from putting that in their store. Notes of their history of themselves on display for people who know you and who don't. You never know someone's reaction. Yeah. But that was was an act of, I'm going to show you myself and this is who's running the store. And mm -hmm. I want you now, whenever you're there, you're probably going to pop by. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it yeah. does. I, I haven't, I haven't forgotten her. I'm sure next summer we'll be back. You brought up earlier that the issue of black and brown women being more reluctant to show themselves. How do you help with that? Mm -hmm. How do you help them know it's safe or maybe it's not safe? I mean, Women in general have safety issues around showing up mm -hmm. in many ways, mm -hmm. whether it's online or in that example, in that woman's store, she could easily get racist comments. One of the things that I'm big on with my clients is building like self-trust, right? Huge self-trust. And why I say that is that, let me give an example. So Van Jones, who used to work for the Obama administration, he recently did an interview and he was talking about politics and how like he considers black people to be the most politically savvy people people in the world because we really can see, okay, we can move elections and we can see how things change and we can see like, this is the play that's going to move us the needle forward. It was maybe not the big jump, but it's gonna move the needle forward. And so with my clients of color, I'm always saying like, you can trust yourself in that room. So if you look in the room and you're in the room and you're saying, okay, like you mentioned, is it safe? Usually it's safe. Usually it's more like an internal fear of judgment. So it's really about like, is this really not safe for me, right? Not safe for me physically, for me in terms of my job or whatever. Am I willing to take that risk because we have historically had to taste, take those risks and we know like, okay, I'm going to say this thing and I know I'm going to lose my job. I know this is going to ha happen to me. And so you can kind of judge for yourself, okay, what's going to happen here? And then if you feel like it's safe and like you're willing to take the risk, whatever the risk is, then say the thing, then show up in the space and trust that your knowledge, that your creativity, that all that you studied and all that you learned is enough. In showing up, I really just try to 
to encourage that sense of self-trust and self-efficacy. Trust yourself, believe yourself. If you're in a room and you're like, this is what's happening in the energy in this room, right? And I know I'm using coachy terms, but I'm with creatives. This is what's happening here. I have a point of view and my point of view is this. I think it will contribute to the space. And even though I'm scared, I'm gonna say the thing. And that's, you do it bit by bit, practice by practice. You're not always gonna hit it every time. Sometimes you'll be in the space and you'll see a time to speak up and you don't because you're scared and or you mm-hmm. go back into yourself. But just track that. Like, okay, I saw it next time. Next time I'm there, I'm going to speak up. I notice that when I get out of the practice of sharing about myself or my work publicly, it gets harder and harder and I get more and more invisible. Yeah. And in some ways it's nice because it's a rest. I've been experiencing a lot of creative burnout during the pandemic. And a friend was like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, you've been doing this for 30 years. Of course you get burned out. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah. And there's this aspect of being an entrepreneur, a public creative where you're like, let's put on a show. Hi. (laughs) And as people have heard this um, season, I got booted off Instagram for using the word vagina during an an Instagram live. And I just haven't had the will or the interest to go back. The good side of that is I'm like, wow, it feels really good not to be on a vacation and going, oh, let me take the cool picture. So everybody knows I'm having the cool vacation. Right. But on the other hand, it contributes to that sense of I could just be invisible. What comes up for me as you're speaking is the difference between sort of taking a break and making a decision to take a break and step away versus invisibility. I think those are two different points because I don't think even now you're not invisible. You may be, you know, not on Instagram and we could talk Instagram and their algorithms and about who they block. Okay, (laughs) that's a whole other conversation. Vagina should be the least of their worries. But I think like you can deciding to feed yourself and nourish yourself and to share yourself in ways that feel affirming to yourself and your values, that's a decision. And so is caring about yourself, taking a break. Invisibility doesn't feel like a decision. It feels like something that's happening to you that you feel like you can't, it's like a cloak covering you that you can't come from under. When you decide, you know, visible is the word I'm looking for, then you uncloak yourself. And once you uncloak yourself, how you express that can be anywhere, Instagram, podcast, blog, whatever you want to do. You can go on the corner, get your little soapbox and start speaking too. <laughs> That's what you want to uh, do. That's what you know. I love that. <laughs> that was a piece of coaching wisdom. Great takeaway for me and, and then see how this works for you is we've really got to give thought to the inner work of being seen over and over again. We have to keep teasing it apart. And when this distinction between where am I taking a break? Where am I nourishing myself? Where am I deciding what I'm going to share? And where am I hiding? Where am I pulling a cloak of invisibility over me? And why might I do that? That is a really interesting prompt to take to your coach or your mastermind group or into your journal. I know I'll be doing that. That is gold. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a little therapy there. I appreciate that. (laughs) What do you hope that women in the program, the self-determined business, what do you hope that they most will learn about making money for themselves? What I hope or the core of of what I want for those women is to know one, that it's possible. Mm -hmm. That's huge. That's huge. That goes back to that whole identity issue we were talking about. 
that it's possible to make money for yourself in a sustainable way that sustains your life and sustains your family, that it doesn't have to look like what everyone else is doing. Like you don't have to be an Instagram influencer. You don't want to be an influencer. Guess you can create a business and not be an influencer. And I want people to know that a sustainable business that gives you freedom, that allows for creativity and feed your soul, doesn't have to look like you're making uh, you know, $10 million in 10 minutes. The majority of Americans, very small amount, maybe it's 4%, it's lower than 10% of Americans make over $250,000 a year. So that means the majority of us are surviving and thriving, making less than that. So if you could create a business for yourself where you basically are replacing your salary, which is so possible and so doable, and it gives you the freedom to create, the freedom to be with your family, to do what you want to do, why not do that? And Mm -hmm. to be in a place where you don't have to deal with, as black and brown women say, maybe the things that hamper your confidence, like microaggressions, or you start to question, am I as smart as I thought Mm -hmm. I was? I've been Mm -hmm. passed up for all these promotions and all that. Like if you could end that for yourself, and then when you get to employing people and that for other people too people who have been othered for whatever like that's where to me the gold is that's where the magic is it's 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 the ultimate like f you i mean (laughs) it is it is the ultimate f you it's very much like i can sustain and thrive Mm -hmm. without having to fit into your box exactly and i can help other people who don't fit in like me do the same thing and be a model for that and be a model for that and i my hope's where we're going as a culture and i think you know being able to have a business online is a part of that having being able to see all that and do all that online is a part of why our culture is shifting and I'm just hoping for my nieces and nephews and the people that come after me that they have a different experience, that they have a different experience and that they're able to express themselves and feel free to do that. Do you think it's important for you to be really in people's faces about doing online business differently, more ethically? Do you call people out who aren't doing it or are you more going back to what you said, you know, I'm lead, I lead with my values? I'm not a um, call people out type of person. That's just not my, like my energy at this point. My energy at this point is unconditional support for women and people of color. Unconditional support and love. I think a, a lot of what we get from different spaces, you know, our families, from the systems that surround us, it's like if you did good enough grades, if you're pretty enough as a woman, you know, if you're small enough, Mm -hmm. then we will help you, support you. I want to be a space of unconditional support and community for people who are other, who feel that way. That's where my energy goes. The calling out part, I think there's people who are far smarter than me, who know more about the history of things and all that, and they have the energy to expend on that. That's just not where my energy flows. So I'm gonna ask you a really dangerous question. This is the question I ask everybody at the end of the podcast, but this is gonna be really hard for you. So I'm just (laughs) setting it up. What do you wanna learn next? Wow. What I want to learn next is, and this is going to sound because I'm talking to you, but I promised my husband, I've been kicking around this book idea for a while. (laughs) 
and I promise I'm not setting this up, but you asked the question. <laughs> and I promised him that I would do it by a certain time. So that's what I want to learn next is I feel like I have enough like content and ideas, but the proposal part, the making it work, all of that, they're next. That's in the next frontier. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm in your corner. I'll help you. <laughs> I'm excited. Thank the world you. needs your book. Toya, thank you so much. I could feel your unconditional love and support in your words and your presence. And um, I'm excited for your future. And I'm so glad we're connected. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. I really enjoyed our conversation and getting to know you a little bit more. It's been a really fun time. Great. Another great episode with so many wonderful ideas and insights that really give me a lot to think about, especially when it comes to social media. What about you? What was the takeaway for you about building your business, reaching out to people, networking? I thought that was really, really interesting. One of the things I see a lot when I'm talking about platform and marketing with uh, people that I work with in my programs is we get this idea that it's all about broadcasting and it's all about social media and it's a lot of bull. We don't have to be broadcasting in those ways if it doesn't appeal to us or work to our strengths. We have to find ways to be finding our just right people and showing up consistently, authentically and effectively and always more than we think is necessary. Marketing and platform building and reaching our people can be an act of love. It doesn't have to be an act of ickiness. And Toya made that really clear this week, among many other things. You can find Toya at legally-bold.com. Next week, we have a rare guest. Rare in that she is very rarely in the media, very rarely does podcast interviews, and yet has sold millions and millions of copies of her book, including 16 million copies of one title, Wreck This Journal. Our guest is Carrie Smith. She is a conceptual artist who I have known for decades and is one of my creativity sheroes, and I needed to talk to her, and I needed to get a blast of her getting rid of ego and getting fresh with your creativity again, and she delivered. So, woo-woo, cannot wait to share Carrie Smith with you next week. And in the meantime, I hope you will share this episode with somebody who needs some help thinking about how to network, how to build a business, maybe a friend who is black or brown who has been marginalized. That would be incredible. And most of all, I hope you'll create out loud. Can't wait to share Carrie Smith with you next week.